let me just start tonight, uh, this morning with a little, you know, economy versus first class comparison, right? First class. Uh, I think I've been in it once, um, but uh, more leg room, uh, better snack, better food, get on board about five minutes earlier. Uh, it's nice. It's nice. Um, what's interesting, and, and if you get the upgrade, man, good for you, good on you. Uh, what's interesting to me And if you've been in an airport departure lounge, you have probably felt the tension. Uh, There is a lot of, in certain people, a lot of energy, a lot of passion, a lot of money sometimes that's invested in getting the better snack and the leg room and getting on board a little bit early. And that's, that's been interesting to me. I mean, I looked up this week, what's the, like if you're going to fly to New York, you could fly there round trip uh, this week, I think for 250 bucks, or you could go first class fly round trip for $999. So pretty big difference. Pretty big difference. And like I said, it's just a curiosity for me what people will do over a bag of peanuts and a little extra leg room. Uh, when really, if you kind of step back, the important thing is getting to your destination, is getting to your destination. And how much, kind of stepping back, how much of life, if we're honest, is really spent worrying about peanuts on a plane? I mean, how much is really spent about making this journey a little bit more comfortable? How much of life is spent uh, making sure that, that we get our share? Um, when really this life... You're 60 years here, 70 years, 80 years. This life is a, is a journey to a destination. Jesus, interesting in the Gospels, um, you get to see Jesus get irritated sometimes. You get to see Jesus get, frankly, angry sometimes. And often what really got Jesus going was how much emphasis people put on the here and now and how sometimes totally indifferent they were to the question of eternity. Jesus cares about you. Jesus loves you. So yes, he cares about your struggle. He cares about your your suffering. He cares about your setbacks here. He cares about your sicknesses. But mostly, Jesus cares because he cares about you. He cares about your salvation. Okay? He said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Read that with me. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's my mission. I want you to be saved. Your journey here, that's nice. I want you to get to your destination. I want you to arrive in the Father's house and spend eternity with the Lord. So he cares about that. This morning, we're going to engage the second of the seven signs in the book of John. We will start in John chapter 4, verse 43. It says, At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. So here's the thing. He's on a layover in Samaria. He's been in Judea. It's been the Passover feast. He's headed north, passes through Samaria, on his way to Galilee, but he spends two days in Samaria. Now you're thinking, big deal. It kind of was. It kind of was a big deal. Jews didn't really hang out for a couple of days with their Samaritan bros. They didn't do that. They didn't associate. And it was unheard of 
for a Jewish rabbi to spend time speaking and teaching in a village like this one, Sychar, a Samaritan village. But that's exactly where we find Jesus. You see, he had been on his way with his apostles, with his disciples from Judea up north. They passed by this Samaritan village. He had this really interesting encounter and conversation with a Samaritan woman all by herself by this ancient water well. She became suspicious in this conversation that maybe, just maybe, this Jewish rabbi was the one, the Messiah. She went to town and she started telling people. They didn't necessarily believe her. She wasn't a person who had a lot of credibility in that community. Another story there. But, but they did get curious enough to go and check this rabbi out. So the town people of Sychar, they go out to talk to Jesus. And this remarkable thing begins to unfold. Let's read about it. Chapter 4, verses 40 to 42. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Let me stop here. Because of his what? Because, this is going to be important today. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know, listen to this, these are Samaritans. These aren't Jewish people. These are outsiders. And they say, now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. That is astonishing to me. A bunch of Samaritans remarkably come to faith in this Jewish rabbi, Jesus. They believe he's the one, in their words, the Savior of the world. How many miracles did Jesus perform among the... How many people did he heal there in the village of Sychar? How much walking on water did he do? How many demons did he... Did he expunge from people's lives? Answer, zero. He didn't do, he had done them in Judea. He's going to do some in Galilee. He didn't do any here. But they believed because of his words. John, uh, rather Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. In fact, it says, by hearing the words of of Christ. And that's exactly what happened here among the Samaritan village. They heard and they believed he was the one. Now, keep that in mind. We get back into our story. He's rolling into his country, Galilee, where he was raised, where he knows folks. So he's headed back home. Verses 44 to 45 comes into Galilee and he, he himself said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been where? They had been down in Judea. They had been in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, and they had seen everything that he did there. So Jesus makes this point. It's hard for a prophet to get a hearing among his own people, in his own hometown. It's interesting. It, it kind of makes you think. 
why. There is a certain kind of familiarity that can be problematic for a teacher of the Word of God. Some of them are thinking, Jesus? I went to, I went to junior high with Jesus. I know that guy. Jesus, when he was a carpenter, he built the bench. It's still in front of I mean, you can sit in it. And there's a certain familiarity there that in one way helps because they know Jesus. And boy, you can tell in this story, they are so proud of their hometown boy. How cool. A celebrity from our country, from Galilee. I mean, you should have seen him in Jerusalem. He was healing people. He would do his, and people were like, this guy's from Galilee. Check it out. He's one of us. But in another way, it created some difficulties, this familiarity. Because when Jesus started teaching, his words didn't fall on receptive hearts like they had over in the village of Sychar. Verses 46 to 47. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, talked about this last week, where he turned water into wine. There was a government official, a basilikos, a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. So the group passes through Cana, the place where Jesus performed the first... He's done a lot of miracles, John tells us that, but these signs. The first sign was the water into wine, and now we're going to have the second sign, this healing. But first, he encounters this basilicus, this Roman... Uh, not Roman, this royal official, he would have worked for the Roman puppet king who was a guy named Herod Antipas. Okay, so his boss, Herod Antipas, is the one who is going to murder John the Baptist, going to cut off his head. Herod Antipas's father would have been the guy who put a hit on Jesus when he was a baby, right? But this guy, he's not come to arrest Jesus He has come to get on his knees and beg. His son is about to die. And he believes that Jesus can do something about it. So he pleads with Jesus, come to Capernaum. Come with me. We'll go. You'll lay hands on my son. He'll get better. I just know it. And oh, how Jesus... Likes to give us a zig when we're expecting a zag. Oh, how Jesus likes to surprise us and shock us. Listen to what he says. Desperate father there, he says, verse 48, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Okay, i got to let you in on something here. That will you, that you is plural. Texas edition of the New Testament, that's y'all. Will y'all never believe in me until you see signs and wonders? Why is that all you want from me? And that helps us because he's not just like pointing at that poor father who's desperate and saying, you don't believe. He's talking to the crowds here because he knows what they want. They want to see another miracle. 
And Jesus is always shocking and surprising and saying things that catch our attention because he is always trying to disrupt our emphasis on questions like peanut, peanuts on a plane, on this short voyage that we call life. And he's always wanting to point us toward the destination, toward eternity. And so Jesus issues this rebuke. He is very quickly in the Gospel of John gone from being an unknown young rabbi to a celebrity. This happens when you do signs and wonders by the power of God. And we talked about last week this idea of signs. We talked about what they're supposed to do. Signs point to something. So when Jesus does a miracle recorded in the Gospel of John, it is to point to the identity of Jesus, to the mission of Jesus. And miracles were supposed to do that. Frankly, they were not always successful in doing that, according to Jesus himself. Here in John chapter 4, the crowds seem to be more interested in the miracles than the message. They want the signs. Eh, not so much the Savior. So you think this irritated Jesus? It sure looks like it. Issues this rebuke here in John 4. Miracles can either direct you or distract you. They can direct you to Jesus or they can distract you. They can be a sideshow. Incredibly, the Samaritans came to Jesus because of his words, because of his message, not his miracles. Hearing was enough for them. The word of the Lord encountered their receptive hearts, and faith took off. These Galileans, these hometown folks, are a little bit different, though, aren't they? They had known Jesus. And his family for years, many of them, they're here for the show. They just want to see him do something jaw-dropping. And look, Jesus could do 10 miracles in front of them. He could do 10,000 miracles in front of them. And many of them will never come to genuine faith. They're consumed with the here and now. They're consumed with an experience. They're consumed with... The, the journey, not the destination. Verses 49 and 50. This official is just going to repeat his request. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus said, go back home. Kid's going to be okay. The man believed what Jesus said and started home. The father is obviously, as you can imagine, if this, was, if this were you... Not interested in a debate about the theology of miracles. Not interested in a discussion about things like that. He just wants his dying son to get better. And so what does Jesus do? Does Jesus, let me put it this way. Did Jesus do what this royal official asked? Yes and no. <laughs> Let's start with the no. The royal official is actually pretty specific. You might skip over that, but he's pretty specific. He's like, Jesus, I want you to come with me. We will go to the village of, or the city of Capernaum, village, probably better for that. We will go to Capernaum, and I want you to lay hands on my son. My son will then get better. That's his request. Jesus says no to that. But I will speak a word of healing 
and your son's going to be fine. The man believed Jesus, took off toward Capernaum. Interesting detail in the story. Didn't go straight home. It's only 16 miles or so. Could have made the walk in you know, three and a half hours, four hours. But overnights somewhere. We know this because he's going to run into some servants from home on the road the following day. So we'll pick it up in verses 51 to 44. 54. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive, and more importantly, his son was well. <laughs> he asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon, at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized <laughs> that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming up from Judea. So at some point, back in Capernaum, the royal officials' servants noticed a stunning reversal in the health situation of this young boy. Instantaneous. From, from hospice to perfect health. 100% better. One minute, life ebbing away could go at any moment. The next minute, I mean, he's like across the street in the playground playing with the neighborhood kids. Eating like a horse. Feels fine. And so the servants see this. They know that their master has gone around looking for Jesus because he's, he thinks Jesus might heal the son. And so the servants are like, we've got to go tell him. So they take off. Not exactly sure where to find him, but they eventually run into him. And I imagine them panting out of breath because they've been moving so fast. Master, Master, we've got to tell you, your son is better. And you can see the wheels turning in the royal official's head. What time did he get better? What time did he get better? Now... This is kind of important, okay, this question. Because the son is better, great. It could be that Jesus spoke, let's say, a prophetic word, okay, that, that Jesus predicted, your son's going to get better. He just, he just knew the son is going to get better, it's all going to be okay. Or maybe Jesus caused his son to get better. That's why this one o'clock thing is important. So his wheel, like, I wonder what exactly happened. So he says, okay, servants, that's awesome. What time did he get better? They said, one o'clock yesterday afternoon, suddenly, instantly better. And he was like, aha. That's exactly when Jesus said, your son will live. Now, several things here blew his mind, this father. One of the things is how, uh, how this happened long distance, right? I mean, his idea, hey, Jesus, you come with me. We're going to go to Capernaum. You're going to, like, pray over my, uh, do whatever you do, and he's going to be better. No. This was a long distance, miles away. Jesus says the word, the son is better. Another thing blew his mind about this, and that's just, it was instant. It was this, 1 o'clock, Jesus says this, his son is better. It was instant. It's not like the servants came and said, hey, the fever's down a little bit. 
Hey, Master, it looks like he's starting to come out of it. No, he was suddenly well, right? And then the third thing that blew his mind, and this is the one that blows my mind, is you look at this, Jesus just says a word, or if you want to boil it down, Jesus has a thought. And miles away, molecules, bacteria maybe in the boy, the immune system, the body, miles away, physical change happens with this person. 16 miles away. Wow. With just a thought. With just a thought. Jesus, God in the flesh, speaks. The cure happens. This nurtured faith in the heart of the Father. It nurtured faith in his household. They began to believe on the name of Jesus, not just as a, as a miracle worker, but as a Savior. A couple of thoughts here, and this will go quickly, so if you want to fill out the blanks this morning, we're going to go pretty quick here. I want to just talk about deepening our faith. And some of the things that we might think would deepen our faith, oddly it turns out, not so much, or certainly not guaranteed with those things. Let's start with miracles, all right? Um, miracles, this is funny. <laughs> How they can be problematic for non-believers and believers, like non-believers, like if you tell your non-believing friend about miracles, or you read stories from the Bible about the amazing things God did, they think you're kooky. Like, I like Jesus, I like his teaching, but this miracle stuff, you're just wacko to even, that stuff's impossible, so certainly for unbelievers, miracles can be a problem. Unbelievers can see miracles as just made-up fantasy. But this is the odd thing. For believers, they can be a problem too. Believers can become so enamored with displays of power that they can become distractions, blocking their view of Jesus. Now let me say this just because we are talking about a story involving a miracle here. Do I believe God still does miracles? Absolutely. I believe God does miracles. Do I believe that God will give you the miracle that you are praying for? Maybe. He didn't heal everybody. Didn't give everybody the miracle they were looking for. But I believe this with certainty. Whatever he does, he wants for it not to become a focal point of your life here on your journey. He wants for it to point to him. He wants for it to, to push you towards eternity. So the next thing here, this is so cool in this story, and this is every story pretty much in the, in the New Testament. Jesus often works in ways that we don't expect or predict, right? Royal official shows up. He's got a script all written out. This is how this is going to go when I see Jesus. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to beg Jesus, and then I'm going to get Jesus to, to go with me to Capernaum. And then Jesus, uh, you know, maybe he's going to say a prayer or make an ointment or lay hands on or he's going to do something. My son's going to get better. And Jesus is like, nice script. I don't need your script. I'm God. I have my own script. How about you join in with my script? Here's how we're going to do this. Your son's going to be better. 
And that applies to us today, right? We try to fit sometimes Jesus into our story. Hey, bless my plans. Give me this promotion. Uh, help my child get straight A's and get on the honor roll. Help this, that, the other thing, whatever. And not that stuff is bad. It's just Jesus has never been much interested in being stuck into our scripts. He wants to get us into his kingdom script, into his story. Genuine faith, the next point here, genuine faith grows over time to love and trust in the person of Jesus, not just the performance of Jesus. Genuine faith, in other words, it's not just about what he can do for me. It's not just about pain relief here in this earth, a little extra power boost to get through my day. He can work in your life on a daily basis, yes, but faith in Jesus, genuine faith in Jesus is falling in love with Jesus, with the person of Jesus. It's knowing him, being known by him. That is faith in Jesus. And finally, miracles don't save Hearing and believing the gospel, hearing and believing it, Jesus, that brings salvation, right? We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second, but how much energy, how much passion, how much money will people invest into a little extra legroom, a better snack, getting on the plane early or getting off the plane early, what focus, what devotion some people will, will give to making their journey a little bit more comfortable And they get distracted from the destination. The boy got well. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. But at some point, sorry to bring the room down here, at some point the guy died, right? Maybe he lived another 50 years. I don't know what the average lifespan was in those days. Maybe he lived another 60 years. But at some point... He had a cause of death. At some point, that boy who Jesus healed had a heart attack, got cancer, got run over by a donkey cart in the marketplace. Something happened. And every person that Jesus healed, every blind man, every deaf person, every lame person, every single one, Lazarus raised from death back to life, every one of those people eventually died. And it's okay. We weren't meant to stay here. We weren't meant to put down roots here. Hebrews 11. We're citizens of heaven. We're here temporarily. This is journey. We're in transit And Jesus knew that those who had put their faith in him, that they were headed to a destination where death and decay and disease could not reach them. And that was what mattered most. And how it grieves Jesus. How it grieves the Lord when people concern themselves with peanuts on a plane. (laughs) 
When people concern themselves, metaphorically speaking, with a little extra leg room on the journey, with the meal, with the creature comforts. And church, let's be clear here. We are still in the business of helping people with their situations in the here and now. We are. We are still in the compassion business because we are followers of Jesus. Okay? We are still in our Dallas urban missions here at Preston Crest. We are still going to go out and feed the hungry and take care of people. We're still going to go to Guatemala each summer and, and minister to literally hundreds of people, to their toothache, to their skin disease, to their vitamin deficiency. We're still going to do that. We're still going to follow up a, a massive hurricane by getting our people in there, our ministry in their boots on the ground and taking care. We're still going to do all of that. We're still going to, we're still going to work with our, with our partners, our outpost in Athens, Greece to minister to Muslim refugees, and we pray that that door say, we're going to still do all of that, but I got a little secret for you. We don't just help people and minister to people to make their lives better here and now. We're trying to get them home. We're trying to get them to their destination. We're trying to get them to an eternity with God. And so everything we do, we point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. And we're pointing you to Jesus right now. Have you put your faith in Him? Have you been baptized in the name of Christ? Have you joined his script, his story? Or are you start trying to, still trying to fit him into, into yours? You can make that step today. Maybe you just need prayers. Maybe you've got a petition for the Lord Jesus like this royal official did. And we would invite you to pray with somebody, pray with me or one of our elders or somebody sitting by you this morning. He still listens he still cares. He still works in the lives of people today. Cry out to him. Ask him for his help. And let his help point you to his mission and his message for your life. However you need to respond, let's do that as we stand together.